That song gets me. That song gets me because it allows for no compromise. The kings of men will shut their mouths in awe. The ones who sit above every other Every other man, every other human, the ones who have adorned themselves with crowns and robes and majesty, they will shut their mouths in awe of Jesus. There is no compromise. There is no option. Jesus is not just a choice among many. Jesus is not just something that sits on the shelf among other options Jesus is not a consumer good that makes for a better life, and there are other options that may provide similar results. Jesus has to be dealt with. We are often in a consumer mentality, and we think about things in this value way, this this choose-your-own-adventure type way. And if that is how reality is situated, hint, it's not then if someone decides for something other than Jesus, that's fine. Because Jesus is just a product and has some benefits, and there are other products and other benefits. Walking with Jesus is more consequential than the type of detergent you buy or the type of car you purchase. Jesus is more consequential than a few tips from a self-help book. And Jesus is unavoidable. Jesus demands a response. And the results of that response are life-changing, for good or ill. This morning, Peter will shout loud and clear that Jesus is an unavoidable stone, creating a house of honor for believers and stumbling shame for disbelievers. He's an unavoidable stone, creating a house of honor for believers and a stumbling shame for disbelievers. Let's start in verse 4. As you come to Him, Peter says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. If you recall from last week, we ended on Peter saying, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, the Lord, the Lord is a term that was used to refer to Yahweh the God of creation, the God of Israel, the God of the Old Testament. And Peter is equating Jesus with Yahweh and strikingly and succinctly saying Jesus is God. He's not just a guy that did some good stuff. He's not merely a good teacher. He's not merely someone that gave some moral eloquence that we should ponder and think about and reject or accept. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you have tasted that He is good, then you want to grow up in salvation. You want to mature in your understanding and experience of the gospel, of the pure spiritual milk as it was likened to last week. The point last week was keep craving the gospel. Keep longing for that truth and its proclamation. Keep wanting to come close to Jesus. And Peter is now saying, as you keep walking towards Jesus, let me describe who and what Jesus is. Who and what he, and what he is doing. He is a living stone. A material metaphor, a building metaphor we're starting into. 
Jesus is a stone that, is, that has life, a stone that brings things about weighty and living, and a stone in the path that requires dealing with it. Peter says this stone was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus, if you know the story, Jesus came to his creation. We just sang, come and stand amazed. That's a little bit of a Christmas song. Jesus came to his creation. You know that story. To humans, to people that had identified themselves as the people of God, he showed up and he was rejected by them. If you read through the Gospels, you have many trying to trick him or put him to shame, stump him with questions or catch him in a trap. The beginning of John's Gospel describes it this way. The true light, that's Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. This Jesus, this living stone, came and he was such a disturbance that their rejection progressed to the point of jailing him, putting on a sham trial, flogging him, and ultimately killing him with the barbarous execution of crucifixion. You know this story. The rejection by men was total, but their judgment was not accurate. In the sight of God, this Jesus, this living stone, Peter says, was chosen and precious. That word chosen is elect, the elect one, the precious one. The world erred greatly in their rejection because they scorned something precious and chosen, precious and chosen by God. In Matthew, during the baptism of Jesus, God the Father spoke out from heaven, identifying the chosen and precious nature of Jesus and said, it says in 17, and behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is chosen and precious by God. Jesus is this living stone that though rejected by men and killed by men, he is chosen and precious to God the Father. And he is a living stone that conquered death, that conquered even that rejection. This is someone to come toward, someone to long for, someone to be connected to, someone to desire, someone to delight in. And the amazing thing about this living stone, Peter says, as you come to him, we become like him. In verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, interaction with Jesus is to be part of something new, part of something substantial, and part of something that is being created, built up. If you are coming to Jesus, you are like Him. You are also living stones. You have the life of Jesus. And God is doing something with those stones. He is building a house. First, this house is being built and constructed with every person that is with Jesus. Every person that loves the gospel, that longs for the gospel, that is connected to Jesus. Each of them are built into this home. That makes an eclectic and diverse house, right? 
from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every ethnicity. God is taking living stones, people that belong to Jesus and making them into a house. That means the house that God is building is made with a bunch of people that don't look like you. That don't have stories like you. That don't act like you. That aren't familiar with the same things as you. You are reconciled into this house with them. It's an eclectic house. It's a diverse house. Second, this is a spiritual house. And this is spiritual in the Holy Spirit sense. This is not merely the opposite of physical. This is not merely a way to describe the unseen. This house is built up and empowered by the Holy Spirit. So it's a spiritual house. God is working in this house. The Holy Spirit is involved in bringing it together and reconciling those people who are different from one another. He's, in, he's involved in killing sin and empowering justice and righteousness. This is an empowered house. Third, this is a house that accommodates a priesthood. We don't talk about priesthoods very often. A house that accommodates a priesthood is a special house for special purposes. If you were to walk through, if you were to start back at the beginning of your Bible in Genesis 1 and walk through the Old Testament, you would quickly realize that the house where priests live are a key theme in this book. Exodus and Leviticus talk a lot about a tabernacle, a very sophisticated tent, the place where priests would do the work of ministry, the place where the presence of God would be made known. The place where God would show up and reveal himself. There was a particularity and a precision to their work in building this tent. There was a specificity and a seriousness to the dimensions and the architecture and what's going to be up here and what's going to be down here. This house is important because God was going to be here. God was going to reveal himself here. God was going to show up here. We could come to this place and God would be with us. And the priests would help the people of God interact with God in praise, in thankfulness, in penitence, in atonement, in asking for forgiveness. The priests would do the work of connecting people to God. Later on, if you know the story, these Israelites that had this, this tent, the people of God, they get established in the land of Israel. And David, the great king, wants to give God a better house. He doesn't want God to have to camp anymore. He says, I have a really nice house. I feel like God should have a really nice house. It's basically what he says. And in 2 Samuel, he tells God, I'm going to build you a temple. And God tells him, no. Your son will build me a temple. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, God tells David, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And like many themes in Scripture, this was recognized a little bit in the Old Testament when David's son Solomon built the temple, and it was well known, and it was a glorious building. And the visitors, visitors from around the world came to see this piece of architecture. But that temple 
was built with dead stones. And that son was not the chosen one who is ultimately known as the son of David. The son of David is Jesus, the living stone. And Jesus, with us, the church as living stones, is making a place, making a people, making a community, making a house, a temple where God reveals himself and dwells and makes himself known. We are the temple, the place where God is experienced. We are the house. We are the house that God has planned to build where he will show up and make himself known, create a place where relationship with God can happen. That's what's going on in this house built with living stones. Fourth, we're not just the stones that make the house. We are the priests. We are the priests, a holy priesthood, meaning a set apart priesthood for a special task, a special category of person that can interact with God. We are the house and we work in the house. We are able to interact with God through Christ and offer spiritual sacrifices. This is astounding stuff because in the Old Testament, the priests were these special people that did special things apart from everybody else. They had to be of the right lineage. They had to be the right dress. They had to be cleaned up and put together everything in its right place. And God breaks all of that down and says, you guys can be priests. You are going to be priests in this house. You are going to be the ones that interact with me and show people who God is. And you will offer spiritual sacrifices. Again, these are Holy Spirit empowered sacrifices. We are not offering calves and lambs and goats and pigeons and doves. Ours are sacrifices that involve all of us. It is the giving of yourself by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is loving others. That's a spiritual sacrifice. It is the walking in love within community as we bear each other's burdens and confess sin one to another. Bearing with each other, that is priestly duty. It is the praying, talking to God on behalf of another, that is a priestly duty. It is the myriad ways of walking in love that Ephesians talks about. That is a spiritual sacrifice and a priestly duty. Walk in love with one another. It is the gifts that you give as stewards that are fragrant offerings, as Philippians 4 says. Spiritual sacrifices. It is the sacrifice of praise, as Hebrew, Hebrews relays. The singing in unison that happens in this room, this very room, that is a spiritual sacrifice. A priestly act of proclaiming the goodness of God, and even in your singing, reminding others of the truth of the gospel. You're doing priestly work. It is every opportunity for God that is taken because now, as a part of the house, these actions are empowered by the Holy Spirit and serve a greater sense of being an acceptable and wonderful thing given to God. Given to God as a priest to make God known and worshipped. That's what's happening in this house. That's what's happening in this spiritual house where God is doing work, where God is making priests, where God is showing who He is. Fifth, this house is not an individual house. This is not a one brick house. There is no house if there is only one person. 
We are so prone in our culture to lean into individualism. And this passage is striking in that together, a bunch of living stones, together we are built up into a spiritual house. God is building a house and bringing together a community. As one that has, has been astounded by the gospel, you have been built into that house. You are not alone. And it is the community of God, the people of God, of which you are a part. It is in that community that you can do your priestly work of connecting others to God. The work of serving and loving others. It makes no sense to talk about a priest if there is no connection with people. You are connected into community. You are saved into community. You are built into a house of people. Remember that when you are prone to think individually. Reject the notion that you can do this on your own. That you can do this in isolation. That you can glory in the gospel by yourself, always alone. Jesus is a living stone and you are living stones a community being built into a great house. And this house, as Peter is going to describe, this house has always been the plan. Peter continues in verse 6. For it stands in Scripture. What is happening with Jesus and happening with this house is a story long being told since the beginning of the Bible. God has been doing this for a long time. It is not a plan B or a plan C. It is not an afterthought. It is not a cobbled together plan with the pieces that were left over. This has been the plan. And Peter makes that clear by saying it stands in Scripture. As he quotes two passages from Isaiah and one from the Psalms to show that Jesus and his work has always been the plan. And it is necessary that one must come to respond to Jesus. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Peter quotes a passage from Isaiah. Isaiah was speaking in the midst of pending judgment. The people were, were watching as they were about to be attacked, about to be taken into exile. And this people thought they had made agreements with those that would keep them from judgment. That they had done connections with other people other than God that would be enough to keep them safe. And God says to them in the midst of, you will be judged. He says, I will place a stone in Zion. A cornerstone. The cornerstone is the stone that is placed before all other stones so that all other stones are placed correctly. That the building may be whole and secure and level and straight and built as it ought to be built. God proclaims in Isaiah to an unseeing and unhearing people, I will lay a stone in Zion and that stone will be chosen and precious and you will have to interact with this stone. You will have to deal with this stone. You can't come up with a different plan for rescue. You can't talk to a different God and be saved or a different way of doing things. God has the plan and you need to pay attention. Even back then, Jesus was coming. The living stone was in view. And Peter continues the quotation, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Whoever encounters the stone and believes, 
Whoever comes to the stone and says, I long for Jesus. I am with Jesus. I love the gospel. I love the good news. I love the truth. Isaiah and Peter say they will never, and that's an emphatic in the Greek, never, no, never be put to shame. To be shamed in an honor-shame paradigm, an honor-shame culture, is to be excluded from the group or the culture or the family. To be excluded from the family or friends because one did not walk in a way that is expected. Or because one had dirtied oneself or put oneself in a shameful situation. Shame is to be excluded. Honor is to be included. And to be connected with Jesus is to ultimately be honored. As I was pondering through this passage this week, it struck me that these Christians are exiles. They are not welcome in their cities or their towns or by their neighbors. They have been scattered and they are ostracized because of their beliefs, because of their connections to Jesus. And in a real and practical sense, they experience people trying to shame them every day. They are pushed out of the culture, out of the happenings of the city. The groups to which everyone belonged did not invite their presence. They did not worship the same God as everyone. And their proclamation of the one true God brought further exclusion. Among the temporary and ill-conceived groups of connection, they were indeed shamed and excluded. But those people, those other groups, those, those temporary cliques did not, do not hold the authority to proclaim what is shamed and what is honored, what is excluded and what is included. It is God who says who is included. It is God who says who is excluded. It is God who makes a people. It is God who makes a community. All others are false, weak, weak attempts that cannot bring ultimate honor, true honor. And God is saying, if you are connected with Jesus, you will not be put to shame. You will never be put to shame. You will never be excluded. And God says, I am the one who can actually determine these things. In reality, within the cosmos, there is one group that brings honor. And that is to be connected with God. If you are not connected with God, then shame is coming. Ultimate shame is in your future. And Peter says, so the honor is for you who believe. The honor is for you who have come upon the word and say, I believe. I love the good news. I long for the good news. The honor is for the one who comes to Jesus and says, I am in. And you have honor because you are part of the house. You are connected to the people who are put together by the chosen and precious one, Jesus. Your honor is from being part of the house that God builds. Don't search for honor in the wrong place. Don't play the games the world plays to ingratiate yourselves to them. Don't try to fit in when you are derided or excluded for believing in the one true God. When work becomes a little bit harder because you follow Jesus, when people no longer give you the benefit of a doubt and subtle exclusion occurs, if you are faithfully walking with Jesus in his character, don't try to find honor with the excluders. There's no honor there. There's honor with Jesus. Honor because we are with the chosen one.
you have to interact with Jesus, believing or disbelieving. Peter continues, but for those who do not believe, and literally that is disbelieving in contrast to the believing before, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. It's as though all of mankind is on a path and as they walk, there is a stone, a large stone, an unmovable stone in the path. I can't go around it. I can't go over it. I can't go under it. I can't avoid it. I have to deal with the stone. I have to deal with Jesus. And if I'm believing that presence of that stone is a wonderful thing, that is a building stone, a house is created, a community is created, connection to God and man because of the existence of this stone, and it's a glorious thing. But if I come upon this stone, and I have to come upon this stone, and I say, forget it, I disbelieve, the practical result of that stone becomes something very different. For those disbelieving, and Peter quotes from Psalm 118, the stone that they rejected, the stone that they thought was pointless and worthless and of no consequence and something to be ignored, that stone, that Jesus, has proved to be something far more substantial. That is the keystone to a great piece of architecture. That seemingly disregardable rock is the foundational member of the most significant building project in all of history. This is a passage Jesus himself quotes in Matthew 21 as he's talking to those that would try to trick him and challenge his authority, challenge what he's doing. He says, you know, Isaiah, the stone that you rejected will become the cornerstone. The stone that you rejected will be the beginning of a great house of connection with God. That's before they ultimately and completely rejected him. And Peter quotes Isaiah again, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. If you reject Jesus, that stone that builds the great house becomes for you a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, something to trip on, something to fall over, something in your way that will hurt you. Have you ever explained the gospel and people are offended at the truth of the gospel? They are tripping on Jesus. Have you ever heard someone push back on the reality of all that Jesus did on the cross for us? The work of forgiveness in dealing with sin. They are stumbling on Jesus. And Peter continues, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. The English translation here has, has more certainty translated into the Greek than I think the Greek warrants. The Greek word behind destined is the same word used for the laying or placing of the stone in Zion. Tithemi, it's the Greek word. You can write it down if you want it. The stone was placed in Zion. Jesus was placed in Zion and they were placed in verse 8. And this stumbling happens because all are forced to deal with Jesus. All are forced to deal with the stone. If you disobey the word, and what is that word? It's from chapter... 1 verse 25 it is the good news that was preached to you if someone disobeys the word of course they will stumble on jesus the stone of stumbling friends we are all on a collision course with jesus we must come up to the stone we have to deal with jesus 
If we accept that good news, that living stone is a wonderful thing. That stone builds a house in which you are included. But if we ignore the gospel, disobey the gospel, turn away from the gospel, reject the good news of what Christ has done for us, we are necessarily placed into a hazard. We have to deal with Jesus and we will stumble and fall and hurt ourselves if we reject Jesus. If you disobey the gospel, you are rejecting the good news. So for you, the option is stumbling and offense. The, good, the helpful thing here is that many of you have stories of stumbling on Jesus. Many of you have stories on stumbling of Jesus that eventually, and thank God, became stories of running to Jesus. Some of you stumbled on that stone for years. And then finally, the good news is good news. I love the good news. I want to be with Jesus. And now you're part of the house. That's a great story. You're included with Jesus. But friends, it all comes down to Jesus. God is doing a great work in Jesus. He is chosen and he is precious. He is a living stone building amazing things. You must deal with Jesus. The stone is building a house full of priests that are interacting with God and each other. And all who are with Jesus are in that house. Everyone's path is necessarily going to run into Jesus. You will either stumble on Jesus and experience ultimate shame. Or you can be connected with Jesus and experience true honor, true connection, true relationship. Jesus is in your path. Be with him, not against him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being willing to be rejected and endure pain for us and from us. Thank you for building something new and glorious and including us in the project. Thank you that we get to be connected to God because of your godly work. Holy Spirit, keep building the house. Keep changing people's hearts. If there are people sitting here actively stumbling over Jesus, change them into living stones. Include them in the house. I don't want that ultimate shame for them. I don't want that ultimate exclusion for them. I want them to be connected to Jesus. Father, when we, and it will happen, when we experience the shame that others would heap on us because of our connection to Jesus, Keep our eyes on the honor that is yours, the honor that is ultimate. Encourage us with the truth that we are connected with you and that it is the most honorable place in all creation. Remind us of that truth even as we do the priestly work of singing your praises right now. Encourage us in the truth. In the name of Jesus, the living stone, we pray. Amen.